Hello and welcome to the Thought Leader's Voice. I'm Rachel Kinsella, editor at iResearch Services and your host today. We're thrilled to be joined for this episode by James Redgrave, head of MAA Insights at State Street, to discuss the future of asset management, key trends and insights. With over 15 years of journalistic and content creation experience across respected titles and financial services firms, James has seen the rising importance of insight, thought leadership and quality content in the financial services industry, particularly in the drive for sustainability across the asset management sector. James has degrees in history and politics and journalism, a great foundation for honing a nose for a compelling story and genuine insight. He speaks regularly on the evolution of the asset management industry and indeed sustainability in the sector. A very warm welcome to you today, James. Thank you for being here during COP26, an important time for us all, especially for financial services. Indeed, and thank you very much for having me. Great to have you here. If we just dive straight into the first question, thinking about the asset management industry, it's faced turbulent times for some years now, not just feeling the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic, but the challenging global regulatory environment, which has been evolving over the past 10 years, and indeed changing demands from investors. Asset managers will not only have to make sound portfolio investment decisions, but also help navigate their businesses through these multiple challenges and the opportunities that come with them. How are you finding that asset managers are adapting? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think you're right. Last year obviously made a very big sort of impactful difference to how asset managers and indeed firms across various industries had to work in terms of obviously moves to remote working. The biggest sort of in the moment challenge, obviously, from a portfolio management perspective was liquidity and the, the inevitable sort of consequences of a large market sell-off. But I think mm-hmm. it's um, it's also important to note that what happened last year, to a certain extent, kind of honed in on or accelerated changes which were were already underway. So we yes. conducted a piece of research sort of towards the end of last year in which we asked um, asset managers who'd come out of the initial fallout from the, the crisis, but were still sort of very much in remote working and, and lockdown scenarios in their various countries around the world, not just what the biggest challenges they faced, you know, in the moment were, but what's um, changed for them in the long term, what they will be doing more of as a result of their experiences of, of the crisis. And I think a couple of, of interesting things came through. Firstly, the biggest challenges that they faced were distributing sort of effective technology to staff, which is mm-hmm. perhaps not surprising given the situation, but also um, sharing information and knowledge, both internally sort of amongst staff and or sort of externally with clients. And that, and I think was an interesting thing to be told because, I mean, we're obviously very used to extremely remote forms of, of working anyway. Yes. Email has been an absolute mainstay of, of communication for more than 20 years now. Most, or certainly a large number of asset managers will have more than one office, frequently in different countries or even different continents. So it was interesting to have hit home just how much that loss of the ability to talk face to face with the people who are sort of directly sat around you or in the same office as you was seen and perceived to be a sort of major challenge. And moving into the long term, what has happened as a result of, of these experiences is, I think, the acceleration of, as I say, trends which were already going on. Remote working is now inculcated into the asset management model. Last year, one of the questions we asked was, to what extent do you expect all or most of your staff to work from home all or most of the time for an indefinite period going into the future? Nearly just under 60% said that they did expect that to be the case. We asked it again this year with with data which has literally just come back this week. So we're still kind of digesting. But that was up to about 65%, two thirds. That's not going anywhere. But that brings a, a lot of sort of challenges to asset managers around regulation, specifically cybersecurity. 
So asset managers are telling us very much that they expect the increase in terms of compliance, increased cost, increased time sort of spent on cybersecurity issues. More than half say that they're going to actually invest in cybersecurity technology for home working staff, VPNs and things like that. More than half think that that they're going to have to do much more monitoring of communications, email, um, internet use and things like that. So that's, I think, the, the major challenge that, that's come out of the, the crisis that they're, they're telling us about. Right. Yeah, it's a massive shift, isn't it, in terms of working models across asset management and indeed across across financial services a, a, as a whole that have such a high percentage that are going to be permanent home working, then investment is going to have to go into that infrastructure, the, mm. the cybersecurity measures, compliance. There's so many extra layers to think about on top of the the already big regulatory agenda, the big all the compliance goals that asset managers already face and and have done for a number of years. So it'll be interesting to see how how that's going to evolve, whether there'll be particular people in in roles responsible for looking after cybersecurity, people coming in for that project management role around the infrastructure and, and making sure that the right communications and tech are in place. Yeah. Is that something that you've seen through your research as well? Certainly. And it's still fairly early days, of course, because I think they're still looking at what good looks like. And more importantly, or at least as importantly, regulators are still looking at what they they want asset managers to be able to demonstrate in this space. From a regulator's perspective, there is a huge difference between a network of computers clustered in a series of offices around a country or a continent or, or indeed whatever their jurisdiction is all containing sort of all talking to one another, all on a joint system and all um, containing potentially sort of sensitive information for for clients and market structural stuff. Diffuse that um, network of computers around hundreds or thousands of homes across a country or, or a continent, and it becomes a much, much more complicated sort of area. So certainly what we're hearing from managers is that certainly investing in beefing up the security of people's home Wi-Fi networks and, and computers, if they're going to be sort of also plugged into the company's systems is essential. Yes. And communication is is also important. So a lot more effort now going into discussing cybersecurity, training, talking about cybersecurity in this new sort of work from home, remote working sort of environment with staff and making sure that they understand additional risks that might take place. But as ever, um, they, they also have to wait on communication from the regulators in terms of what they might need to do as well. Absolutely. And as ever, internal communications become critical in this as you say, that educational process about cybersecurity risks, the need for compliance in numerous different areas, but also keeping in regular touch with with colleagues across the globe, as well as clients, um, to make sure that they have what they need and that they're informed with all the latest goings on. So I think we are seeing that internal communications piece becoming increasingly important and, and efforts being made to, to beef up those programs internally in terms of communication, training, education, and regular monitoring of, of mm. systems and how they're used. Also collaboration, of, of course, particularly when looking at, at different systems and different workflows, elements like that. And I suppose that leads nicely on to external marketing communications and, and marketing challenges and opportunities in the current and future environments. Obviously, a key way to differentiate is through marketing communications, through the brand, through creating educational content for external purposes, and also embracing digital marketing technology and techniques 
one of the key trends that, that we're seeing is a role of head of content or editorial content directors appearing more regularly within asset management firms. And, and that's really showcasing the increasing role of thought leadership to connect, again, internally and externally, but also to inform and, and to drive action. How are you seeing that role evolve of marketing broadly and that focus on on content within the asset management sector? Yeah, I I think it is certainly at the moment or or these days very much a technology question. I think in terms of the importance of having a sort of content function um, and being able to talk to your clients outside of the sort of narrow areas of what you sell or what services you provide, is is kind of a battle that's already been won. I I think you'd struggle to find a sort of significantly large asset manager or sort of non very sort of niche asset manager who's not already particularly well known for one particular thing who doesn't have some kind of content function. Where I think it is evolving is, as you say, very much on the digital and distribution and the types of products that these, these areas of marketing put out. So again, we talked about how that the recent crisis act is an accelerant for ongoing trends. I think we saw that here as well. Prior to the crisis, yeah. I think there was already a recognition that recorded sort of podcasts, sort of things like this and webcasts and generally things that could be done on a remote basis were useful, valuable and increasingly used methods for distributing this kind of information. And there was definitely a shift going from publishing a white paper or whatever it might be, to more digitally distributable recorded type things. The other area, I think, is that obviously there's always been a tradition of getting half a dozen of your clients into a boardroom, sitting them around a table, having a conversation, and and then producing a sort of paper or or something off the back of that. Or getting some of your senior executives into a room, getting a company in to film them, producing a sort of video. And that's obviously one way of doing this kind of conversational um, educational piece. And the other way of doing that would have been to have those people come in remotely and and do it much the way that we're we're speaking now. I think there were long pre-COVID, there were already pressures on the earlier model. It's Mm. difficult to get several people, potentially from separate countries, sort of all into one office at one time, especially if there are clients involved. There are cost pressures on the extent to which companies want their their executives flying around and for what reasons, ESG reasons for that as well, of course, as well, and people monitoring the amount of um, flying and travel that they do. And the the whole process is just a longer, more cumbersome, more, more costly way of doing it. However, it was a way of doing it all the sort of established vendor relations were in place for that kind of thing. And it was something that people knew how to do and knew worked. So I think that there was there was still a kind of lag on shifting over to, to doing it via some kind of piece of online technology like this. Yeah. So COVID obviously made a necessity of that particular virtue. And I think we will see now a much more pronounced shift towards tactile, agile methods of recording conversational thought leadership style marketing from the yes. more legacy physical in-person event ones. Yeah, I think that's one of the good things to have come out of this this crisis, that the drive to digital in a positive way, as you say, it's accelerated a, a trend that was already developing, moving more onto webinars and podcasts and video content, making that more digestible and snackable. And also, I think having on-demand content has really come into its own through the pandemic. One of the pressures that you mentioned was getting the the same people in the in the same room at the right time that was always a challenge for organizing those kinds of events and and discussions and also the scope of other events and other 
activities and diaries booking up with with other big policy events, for example, or other high profile conferences that that were going on either in person or or virtually. So being able to carve out a, a niche or garner attention in, mm. in that space was was always a challenge. Whereas through the pandemic, people have been hungry for online content. Yeah and more predisposed to engaging with it and either signing up and, and joining on the day or downloading it and, and taking it all in afterwards. Yeah, I mean, definitely in terms of our research, client experience and client or customer facing technology and platforms is, is a big priority for sort of increased internal investment. And that is a consequence, I think, largely of of being forced to do do more things remotely. I mean, it's important, mm. obviously, not to overstate the movements of these trends. I don't think that the face-to-face meeting is going to disappear. I don't think that the, the conference, a sort of physical event is going to disappear either. But I do think that a lot of things that would have been done in person, especially sort of smaller things involving small numbers, maybe one or two or half a dozen or so people, will migrate to a more remote sort of model. Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing some face-to-face conferences, uh, in-person events, going on in in various jurisdictions at the moment and whether whether they will continue whether there'll be other lockdowns we we don't know at this stage but I think they're they're not going anywhere but I think it has opened up new ways of communicating and engaging with with clients and and being able to to drive the the educational content and and the thought leadership in in different ways so hopefully that that will be a trend that will continue and and will become more sophisticated as well as as firms as you say invest in different platforms and technologies where they can really make the most of that kind of content yes definitely i mean i think the the better software gets at not cutting out, recording clearly. It goes back to the question we were initially um, asking about what the challenges are in terms of getting physical tech to people. That's going to involve things like quality microphones, maybe better laptops, or you know, maybe subsidising home Wi-Fi to yes. make sure that, that bandwidths are good enough. And also physical appearance of it. If you want to convert a podcast into a video, as things stand, the kind of automated backdrops are not not great. I don't want everybody having a different real backdrop. But as technology improves, no doubt there will be more seamless virtual backdrops and things like that and you'll be able to put out visual things cutting to slides without problems and things like that so i've no doubt that the technology will will foster better outcomes there yes absolutely and of course all of this is uh, is no no use to anybody without good quality data that's well managed and well distributed well well kept in a compliant fashion and obviously that's absolutely crucial to an effective distribution and sales strategy Global asset managers seem to be continuing a trend in accelerating investment in data scientist teams, data analysts, and technology in that space, something that we've seen particularly over the last three years. And that is, again, that seems to have accelerated during the, the pandemic with one eye on the rigorous global data compliance requirements. Do you believe a comprehensive data strategy has become paramount for for asset managers and how are you seeing this process being managed yeah so i mean for four or five years now i've been surveying asset managers on the question of their use of data and the relationship between their internal technology their third-party relationships with either technology or data providers and and the data itself and the strikingly similar answers come back year on year really which is that Improving their effective use of data is pretty much the most important thing to to any asset manager. And it doesn't matter where across their organization, front, middle or back office, investment performance or compliance with regulation or, or whatever it might be. 
they have very significant challenges, which have, I think, been improving over the time I've been doing, or their ability to meet has been improving over the time I've been doing this research, but that still remain, which is that what they want is a kind of technology-led, fairly seamless data environment. There are three sort of stages to this. There's your storage, there's your search, and there's your sharing, basically. They want to go from a situation where dozens and dozens, if you're a large kind of global or regional asset manager, of legacy systems serving different areas of your business, potentially sort of different ones in different geographical areas, ones which have been married together after sort of M&A processes, which have been inherited from companies that they bought or, or merged with, et cetera. Right now, there has to be a lot of physical exchange of data between those systems. People have to, to go in, find what they want, put it in a format, give it to someone else. They have to, to put it into a different format for whatever they want to use it. If you generate some data you know, from a trade or something like that, which you store in one way, and then your compliance team needs to share it with a regulator, it needs to get to the compliance team, and then the regulator will have a sort of its own format for, for how to do it. And then there's the sort of the dream, which is pure unstructured cloud-based sort of lake, if you like, of, as I say, unstructured, but tagged data, which sufficiently good robotic and sort of AI type technologies can simply comb through, find the relevant tags and give to whoever needs it and should have access to it in their part of the business on, a, on an automated basis in the way they want it. There's a, there's a big difference between how things have historically been done and how asset managers want them done. So all their investment in what you might call emerging technology, cloud, advanced analytics, using things like AI, et cetera, is basically done to try and homogenize the way in which everyone in their organization interacts with all the data that their organization produces. And of course, they produce an awful lot of information and the bigger they are, the more they produce. So it is a, a very, very difficult challenge, but it is, I would say, in terms of their investment in technology based on you know our research, priority number one, or for their operating models and, and enhancement of their operating models, not just investment in internal technology, but the choice of outsourcing partners and technology partners to work with. And then there's also the question of sort of broadening the number of data sources you use and the type of data you bring in. So again, looking at our 2020 research, one thing that we were told is that about two thirds of asset managers globally are planning to use more data from a wider variety of sources and different types of data than they have historically used. And approximately one third of them have the capacity right now to actually absorb all the data sources they want and integrate them into their existing systems. And they are predominantly looking at third parties to help them to patch those things together because they, they simply can't do it internally. So again, it comes back to this, this integration, not just of, of data, but integration of technology, basically, um, sort of question. That's a, a much bigger number than I was expecting, actually. Very impressive that firms have got to that stage with their data, almost an overarching view across the different sources. You can see why that's challenge number one, priority number one, being able to embed technologies to, to make better use of data when it's coming from multiple sources. And indeed, as you say, creating vast volumes of, of data as asset managers do. It's quite impressive yeah. that, I mean, it's probably through those third party relationships and through through those partnerships, but also... Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's large numbers recognise the need to do this and both the internal integration piece and also the external kind of bringing more data in piece. But about the same number, about two thirds also acknowledge that they actually can't do it and that they need to find partners out in the, in the industry, tech firms and, and the like to enable them to do it. So there's definitely recognition, but there's also significant problems with the actual implementation of, of their desires in terms of data. Yes, yes, of course. As you say, sort of matching up legacy systems, all the different sources of data, where there are gaps, where there are silos within the, within the business. 
as well as it being a massive challenge, it's also an opportunity to differentiate by by having the right technology in place, by by having the more seamless systems and embedding of the different technologies within the organisation. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's a differentiator in terms of um, it enables them to do their job better. The, the more effectively an asset manager uses data, the better investment outcomes, the better risk outcome, the better client communication and information sharing outcomes it achieves for its client. And I mean, the fundamental differentiator I think that any asset manager wants is to, to be better at managing assets than, than its peers. Of course. Yes. So anything that's going to help do that more, more efficiently, more effectively, give a more holistic view it's got to be number one priority. And that also leads nicely on to client communications, client engagement and personalization. So, you know, similar technologies can be used for, for using data to effectively personalize uh, different communications um, to be able to meet customer demands in a more responsive and, and unique way. How are you seeing asset managers adapting to help broader financial institutions provide these these more personal, unified customer journeys and in so doing, maintaining a competitive edge? Yeah, I think when you look at the sort of the institutional customer base, it's useful to start with terms of its relationship with technology and specific fund based sort of level marketing to look at a trend in retail, which is that direct to consumer marketing is becoming more important to, to the asset management sector because yes. it is now not just possible, but actually quite common for somebody to select a fund from an app on their phone. And if they have investable money, put it in there. And that person, and if that person's going to select a particular fund, it is valuable for an asset manager to have some kind of relationship with, or if not a relationship, at least be a recognizable brand to that person. Historically, this was much more intermediated. Your relationship would have been with an IFA or a bank um, or somebody who selected those funds on behalf of the individual. So that is a very important component of the direction in which asset management or fund management marketing is going. How does that relate to the institutional side? It is related to another sort of significant trend, a much older and more longstanding trend, which is the shift from defined benefit to defined contribution in terms of the way pension funds and pension schemes are structured. So historically, the DC market, which has in in many, many developed pensions markets overtaken the DB market in terms of number of assets, or if not done done so, will do so sort of soon. And is, of course, the only game in town for the more emerging kind of pensions um, industries, which are growing up in countries which haven't historically had them. It's been quite institutional in in the way it's appeared to the end user. The the member joins a scheme, maybe they're auto-enrolled like they are in the UK or Australia, or, or maybe they choose to do so. And they go into a default fund, and the default fund is a quasi-institutional vehicle. A manager manages it, a provider chooses it, the manager, the the end user doesn't really have any kind of interaction with it. But a lot of um, pension schemes, defined contributions, sorry, pension schemes are open architecture, or at least have some kind of fund platform involved in them. And as Mm -hmm. the number of assets in these um, schemes grow, and the number of assets which individuals have grows, the more they will move towards treating it more like a kind of retail proposition being aware of the funds on their DC platform, choosing funds, maybe creating strategies and things like that. So with that in mind, if you're an asset manager on a DC platform, historically, you've either been part of a component of the default fund or you've had no money through that platform, really. But in future, it will be a genuine means, much like the the apps and the sort of retail platforms that, um, that I was just talking about before, potentially yes. of getting money in if the end user recognizes your fund and recognizes your brand. In terms of how they support the actual pension provider, I would say that I'm not aware of any particular examples of actual fund managers working with 
pension platform providers to to provide communications or support. But it is nevertheless um, very much a channel through which you need to be able to reach the end consumer because it's going to be a growing part of the kind of D2C market, basically. Mm. So are you seeing one of the trends that we've seen in recent years is financial institutions working with fintech providers or um, tech companies to to create technologies such as apps or particular payments platforms and direct to, to consumer uh, apps and uh, and technologies of that kind are you seeing more firms doing this sort of thing in-house or um, again are they working with these third parties or or other partners to be able to to provide more more apps and different types of services specifically on the kind of distribution of sales of funds to client I would say that probably the preferred model is still it's still pretty much to sort of buy into to sort of fintechs or see see what already exists. There are, I think, some kind of in-house D2C sort of app-based propositions. But in mm-hmm. terms of that kind of, you know, robo-advice, as it certainly used to be called, um, I'm, I'm more aware of, from my sort of knowledge of the market, uh, sort of investment in, in fintechs. It's not, I would have to say, an area which um, I'm quite as close to as maybe some of, some of these other areas. Um, and it's not something I've sort of directly addressed through research recently. Great. And then another area of, of partnerships, of course, is sustainability. And it, it's an area that we're, we're seeing uh, evolving. Obviously, a, another fundamental priority for asset managers and indeed all financial services companies is, um, is ESG, the race to embed ESG strategies w- within the firm, within the investment process, within client communications, and then, you know, regulation on the, on the horizon, um, putting particular uh, measures in, in place for, for particular reporting standards and um, a number of different areas of development there. In some recent research that we did at, at iResearch, um, we found that funds and investments were the front runners in sustainability initiatives. Um, they actually rated themselves quite highly as a, as a sector and were rated at, at the same level by, by their industry peers. 45% of the respondents outside of that sector feel that funds and investments are, are setting the sustainability success trends, which is interesting that they are seen as the front runners. I think potentially from the the growth in ESG investment opportunities and products and and platforms and the way they've been reported over the past 10 years and again that's something that's that's accelerated in in recent years for for obvious reasons and financial firms are, are working with other industry participants such as trade bodies policymakers to, to drive forward various different sustainability issues and again the asset management sector seems to be a front runner in in that regard with a number of different commitments and collaborations with think tanks dif- different policymakers other organizations that can provide more more sustainable products and services over 60% in, in our research are using several sustainability partners across the board. And then 28% are working with one partner on, on particular sustainability initiatives. With that in mind, we all need to work together. How are you seeing these unique partnerships start to evolve? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the, the ESG issue is one that asset managers have been taking increasingly seriously in, in recent years. And it's certainly moved from being a communications issue to a genuine you know, operations and structure issue. For example, around 80% of the respondents to our most recent survey say that they have integrated ESG across their portfolios, not just their sort of ESG funds, but their mainstream portfolios to an either substantial or at least somewhat substantial extent. The problem is, of course, that what integration means in that context will differ by respondent. And the real problem that I think asset managers have when it comes to um, complying with ESG regulation and also doing what they want to do in terms of improving ESG modelling across their their portfolios is that there is a a real difficulty in understanding what standards are and what they should be. And the biggest issue we see is when it is the data in and data out question, if you like. A lot of respondents to the um, the most recent survey we did would say that the number of data sources they have access to when it comes to providing them with, with the SG data on potential sort of securities for investment are inconsistent yes. across the different sources. They tend to be sort of backward looking and, and based on, on old data and, and not terribly up to date. And a lot of them are, are actually you know, unclear and obscure in terms of what they're actually saying. And there mm-hmm. isn't a top-down push by governments, by legislators, by regulators to impose standardization on the providers of data in this space. And then on the data out sort of side as well, uh, in terms of how they comply with reporting regulations, what they tell clients and customers, what they tell regulators, again, we're, we're told through our research that, that that's not always terribly clear to them either, and that they want a lot more actual sort of intervention in this market from, from regulators in terms of, um, of telling them what they should be doing. So yeah, there's two areas of this market. And again, they both come back to the data question that, that we've been talking about quite a lot. Asset managers need more trustworthy and consistent data, and they need access to it. And they need better guidance on what they put out on the subject as well. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a real need for consistency, continuity and clarity on reporting standards, on what is expected. I like the way you positioned it as data in and data out. I think that's a very clever way of, uh, of looking at it and a good model to, to follow where you're looking at how you can evolve these different strategies and embed them within business models also plays out with what we saw in our research where 57% believe that governments need to do a better job of supporting the implementation of sustainability initiatives and 42% suggest that policymakers must get involved to accelerate the necessary changes. So that real need for for a top-down approach as you mentioned to bring together some, some form of consistency and clarity of rules it's going to be very interesting to see how these these regulations develop and what what's going to come into play both on on the reporting providers and the, and the access to data but also what's reported in terms of financial results client communications and it spans all areas of, of the business so it it must be very difficult for financial services firms to to start to to plan and and embed these these strategies without knowing what the, the benchmarks are going to be and and, and what the, the particular um, regulatory requirements are, are going to be. So there needs to be a lot of communication on all fronts from all industry participants to to make that happen and to, to create a more level playing field. Yeah. And I think uh, you look at where there have been serious regulatory efforts in this area, the European Union in particular, and European Commission's mm. rules on taxonomy and that kind of thing. 
they have been fairly sort of slow moving, targeted to particular areas, in this case, Europe. One wonders whether something like COP, as you mentioned earlier, could lead to a more global framework being put in place and perhaps a slightly faster moving one as well to enable um, asset managers to better serve their customers in this area. Yeah, I think it would be a real driver of, of particular initiatives and, and and bringing different parties together. So it would be, be very interesting to, to keep a close eye on, on developments that, that come over the next week. Have you got any thoughts or research or response from asset managers recently about about greenwashing? Because again, some of this comes from, from the lack of clarity in terms of reporting and, and regulation and, and different best practices and standards. Some of it is is pure over-enthusiasm that various different sustainability initiatives are, are being developed or are in, in progress, but then not talking about the areas where actually more needs to be done or further progress needs to needs to be made. Are you getting a, a sense of the, the direction of, of travel for, for firms in, in that area at the moment? I think there's a sense, certainly from the respondents to our research, that it's something that really needs to be, and kind of goes back to the answer I gave before, sort of stamped out from the top down. So 56% mm. say that regulators should mandate specific sort of standards in this area. And if they see greenwashing going on, people not sort of portraying things as, as things that they aren't, then that's really something that needs to be prohibited, the ability to sanction managers who do it. But again, mm. if they don't know what adequately green means by the standards of, of legislation and regulation, it's very hard for them to, to comply. There is, a, I mean, so the corollary of that 56% is that 44% said that regulators should let market develop their own rules around this. So there, there's a genuine split in, in the industry as to how this is, is best handled, whether the industry pleases itself or is pleased. But there's mm. a sort of small but significant majority in, in favour of, of this being enforced rather than from the bottom up. Yes. I mean, we've got a huge response in in our research that uh, greenwashing is definitely a problem for for the industry across financial services, not just just within asset management and and investment and funds. But there are differing opinions on 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 how it can be be stamped out and uh, and what level and amount of uh, of regulation needs to be in place to, in order to do that so it will be interesting to see if, if there are further developments or further clarity on that through cop 26 and in various initiatives that come to light after the uh, the event so be definitely one that we'll be talking about more and and keeping a close eye on for for developments it'll be interesting perhaps to to speak again in say a month or so's time to, to see what, what's coming out of that and, and to see if there's any firm initiatives that have been put into, into place. Absolutely, yeah. It'll be probably less um, the speeches and the, the things that happen over the next couple of days and more the, the things that get published and, and more sort of detailed, tangible changes that, that come out as a result of, of the uh, sort of announced changes will have to be looked at in detail. Yeah, absolutely. And that move from beyond words in, into action and, and everyone working together to, to do so. So I think we've, we've talked about that there are multiple challenges. Some of them lead to interesting opportunities. We see data, technology, cybersecurity, being able to invest in the, in the right technologies, the right systems and, and processes and infrastructure across firms. ESG from portfolio and investment perspective, but also in terms of broader sustainability initiatives 
across asset management firms. Are there any other key drivers that you think are going to be trends to watch? I think we talked a little bit before about partnerships with with other companies and syntax and things like that. Um, one thing yes. that, that I'm quite interested in doing is mapping the kind of relationship between asset management firms and the wider ecosystem, if you like, of other financial service and technology firms who can support them in their various endeavours. So, for example, last year in the 2020 research, we, we looked into sort of outsourcing strategies and Again, very much sort of technology versus data issue and going back to what we were saying, uh, what I was saying, sorry, about how quite often the internal systems just aren't there. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, the the trend was not just for increased outsourcing, in particular of data analytics type functions. So investment performance, risk analytics and, and monitoring um, were the two main areas for outsourcing. The other quite interesting trend, I think, was a kind of consolidation in the provider market for these outsourced services. So there's been historically, I think, a, a tendency on the behalf of asset managers to find a specific sort of function that they want somebody to do potentially better than they can do it in-house, finding someone to do it. Now, I think they want larger organizations who can take on multiple functions at once and have one relationship, which from a sort of risk monitoring key supplier, understanding your, your supplier's sort of situation is obviously easier for them. So I think yes. we are going to see increased outsourcing of areas relating to this kind of marriage of data and technology that we've been talking about. And I think we're going to see large technology firms or other providers getting the bulk of the new business in that area, as opposed to smaller fintechs. Having said that, obviously, smaller fintechs have the capacity to sort of innovate and they will bring new sort of things into the market that um, perhaps aren't preempted at the moment. So there's still I think, potential for that trend to, to, to be challenged by new technology and new ways of doing things. Yes, I suppose it's that balance of agility and speed to market versus security and lower risk of yeah. w- working with multiple providers or multiple partners. You know, potentially we, we would see different initiatives or, or a different business units set up for particular either the fintech aspects of it and, and working with particular partners and then one more holistic partner is as you say across other areas like cybersecurity and, and compliance and, and and looking after the the different systems Definitely. it'd be interesting to, to see if there's those pockets of innovation for particular digital services Yes, whether there's a kind of spring back to kind of multi-provider models or whether there's significant M&A in the established provider models of the the sort of fintechs and these things get sort of pulled under single roofs is, I think, um, without wanting to hazard a particular prediction about the direction of, of this market, it's definitely an area of trend to watch. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing um, fintechs being bought by by larger financial institutions. We're, we're seeing partnerships with with big tech to bring to, together digital services, particularly on the retail side. So it'd be interesting if, if that trend continues. We're seeing increasing M&A across fintech. So the part that the larger asset managers are, are going to put, play in, in that market is going, going to be interesting. So it's difficult to say at the moment what direction that's going to go in. But as you say, definitely want to keep an eye on. For sure. Are there any further trends you think we should be be watching out for or areas that we need to be aware of? I think what we've covered off data and technology and how they relate to one another, ESG regulation, particularly pertaining to sort of security and, and sort of post-COVID operating models with remote working, they're, they're the big ones um, for in yeah. terms of what our research is showing. Brilliant. Absolutely. Well, it'll be very interesting to see how, how things play out and keep an eye on the 
on the future of asset management. It's turbulent times, but also that there is a lot of opportunity there. So it'd be interesting to see which firms are, are really getting out there and and leading the way in terms of the ESG initiatives, in terms of their offering for, for clients, both retail and institutional, and, and working in partnership with other interesting firms, either on the technology side or providing greater security to, to clients. So it'll be uh, definitely be interesting to, to see how that continues to evolve over the next year and, and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly an area we're going to continue monitoring through through our surveys and our research. Excellent. Thank you so much, James. And thank you for bringing all the, the different elements of research to, to our conversation today. I think it's painted a, a really good picture of, of the current challenges and opportunities, the, the trends that we're seeing coming through in recent years, and also the trends that, that we're looking at on the horizon. And I think in terms of widening our listeners' understanding of the, the state of the market at, at the moment. I, I think it's been been really educational and, and very useful indeed. So thank you very much for, for joining us. And hopefully we'll speak to you again with some more research and, and some more some more facts as we go along. Absolutely. And um thank you very much for, for inviting me to to join in. This has been a been a really interesting conversation and I've I've enjoyed it. So thank you. Thank you, James. I've really enjoyed it too.